Hey folks, before we get to the show, wanted to let you know about The Handlebar. They're a craft beer bar and restaurant right here in Chico on the south end of town at 2070 East 20th Street. And seven days a week, they have a happy hour from two to six where you get a dollar off of any of their 28 craft beers on draft. Not kidding. A dollar off seven days a week from two to six. That's The Handlebar. They've got a gorgeous patio that is currently under reconstruction, but it's gonna come back better than ever. So check them out, The Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is a craft beer and movie podcast based in Chico, California, and I am Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Welcome back to another fun-filled episode. Johnny, this week on the show, we ask if it's fear or nostalgia that's the true mind killer. Sorry about that one. With reviews of Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho and Dune, the latest from director Denis Villeneuve. That's right. We are drinking beers from Celador Ales out of Los Angeles. The first is a rustic wild ale with nectarines called Happy Dagger. And the second is a rustic farmhouse ale called Plus Plus Good. Yeah, if you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, A, happy Thursday. B, bad news is you're only going to get to hear our first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of Dune. That's right. But to hear the rest of the episode, including our whole review of last night in Soho, a second beer, and the spoilers for Dune, plus more than 200 episodes of Fresh Hop Cinema, head to any of the following places. Yeah, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Apple Podcasts. We drop new episodes every Friday morning at 10 a.m. If you do like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and or a review. It helps other people discover our little show. Follow us on Instagram for pictures, Letterboxd for film reviews, and to see what we're watching lately. Untapped for beer reviews, all at Fresh Hop Cinema, or check out our website, freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, if all that's not enough for you, you can also send us an email. We check them all the time, and we read them, and sometimes we'll shout you out. Send an email to fhccast at gmail.com. Indeed. Patreon is the last way we will tell you to yeah. hear us yeah it is how this show gets funded for the most part and also it's really fun we have a great time doing bonus episodes every single week we've <laughs> done some really cool series on the making of films which actually came into play on my vacation we'll get to that later nice so you might learn something that will help you out in a real life situation like it did me we also do extra beer reviews. We do events. There's going to be a bar hang coming up next week. So if you want to get in Patreon and come hang out and drink beers with us, you should do that. It's as little as $1 an episode uh, or $1 a week, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be more, but could be less. can't be less, actually. can only be a dollar. No, you could technically more. just give us like one, one. You could only support one episode a month if you wanted to. So it could be as little as a dollar a month, technically. Wow. That'd yeah, be wild. You know. That's just like... The bare minimum just to get <laughs> just in and to hang go out. To Man. Yeah. If you do that, you have to buy us a beer. Though. Absolutely. That's the rule. So, anyways, check it out. Patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema for more of us in your ears and your lives and your hearts. Enough self-promotion, I think. I'm excited for these beers. This is a brewery you've picked up. First time on the show. Tell me about what we are drinking today, my friend. Yes. So the first beer we're going to be doing is a beer called Happy Dagger. It's a 6.6% rustic wild ale with nectarines, vanilla, and jasmine. I am super stoked for this one. The combination sounds 
insane mm-hmm. uh, and tasty. So I'm going to tell you, do you want to read a little bit about the brewery? And then I will go into more detail about the beer or vice versa. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, I believe off their website, they have their mission statement. They say, our mission is to create passion for craft beer through production of unique and exceptional ales. We prioritize experimentation for the sake of flavor and strive to bring the world a sensory experience that is euphoric. They were founded back in 2014, and they say they're among the few 100% oak barrel fermented craft breweries in the United States. This is a tradition going back thousands of years, uh, but which is rarely employed in the United States today. The use of oak helps lend a rustic complexity, as well as provide our brewers with the opportunity to blend flavors in new ways. Each batch will be unique, only ever replicating recipes that we feel are exceptional. Because of this, customers can expect a new and noteworthy experience every time they taste our beer. Again, for us, both of these will be new and noteworthy because, again, haven't had Celador on the show before. So tell me again, Johnny Summers, about Happy Dagger. I'm sure there's a description somewhere. Yeah, from, I'm assuming the brewer, it didn't give credit on their website, but we read this. I've had this combination of flavors in my head for a while, and I'm glad we finally got around to making this beer, because it tastes damn amazing. Happy Dagger was made with multiple varieties of Masumoto nectarines, and finished with whole vanilla beans and jasmine flowers. The stone fruit flavor is mild, but definitely comes through, while the vanilla lends the perception of sweetness and some woodsy flavors, and the jasmine rounds out the whole package with its floral complexity. The beer has a very mild acid profile, and a big mouthfeel, which together keep you coming back for more. So that's saying a lot of the right words. Max, have you tried Happy Dagger? I've actually just poured it. And, and the reason I haven't gotten to drinking it is because I was kind of observing the can. It's a really neat mm. looking can. I, and you picked these out. So I assume uh, in your normal tradition, these caught your eye and that's sort of what drew you to it. Yep. 100%. They have good marketing and great imagery. Really yeah, it's, cool it's this really colors. sparse. Yeah, it's it's an orange-ish can, like a, almost a burnt orange can with a very minimal design. Cellador is written in big gold reflective letters at the top. It says Happy Dagger. And then there is, I'm going to call it an outline of a, a detailed outline of a, maybe a dove, you think? Mm-hmm. I think that's a dove. Wings spread with some little tiny concentric circles around it, and then it describes the beer at the bottom. But it's, it's really simple, but kind of elegant looking. I would, I'd like to think that I would have grabbed this beer also. It's very, yeah. very approachable, I think. Super eye-catching. When a brewery I've never heard of has this level of detail in the packaging, I'm going to immediately just, my hand involuntarily just starts reaching, like, I must try. Yeah, totally. And it was successful marketing. It worked on me. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about Wild Ales? Not necessarily, um, we don't have to get too technical or anything, but um, we don't do them a whole lot on the show. I don't even drink them too much. And when I think sort of like open fermentation or even oak barrel fermented beers, I, I, I tend to think Oregon for some reason. I think it's about the coast and I, my brain goes to Degard. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm looking back, I don't, I don't know that any of these are actually open fermented, fermented, fermented. <laughs> um, but where do you sit with wild ales in general? They can be hit or miss for me just because of the, the level of acidity. Once it hits a certain point, like it's not very kind to my stomach or my teeth. Yeah. It just gets a little tooth melty. Uh, but I do love some of Degard's fruited stuff. I love all of the ones they've done like with berries. I really love Stone Boo, which is their, their nectarine plum peach mm-hmm. uh, sour. So I have, you know, I would say most Wild Ales for me, it's a coin toss. I have to kind of try it, but it's definitely not a style that I gravitate towards unless the stuff in it draws me. And nectarines are actually my favorite stone fruit. Yeah. Second, uh, second would be plums, but I love nectarines and I'm always dying to try nectarine beers. And the combination of vanilla and jasmine sounded really interesting and it almost made me think of like a craft cocktail in a way because you don't see like vanilla with something tart 
frequently in right. beer. Usually things go like either sweet or sour. There's really not usually a marriage of ingredients that uh, dictate contrasting flavors like mm-hmm. that. So uh, very interested to try this. So I'm hoping this will be on the positive side of Wild Ales for me. Yeah, I've poured mine now, and I am trying to get this straight in my head because it's clear to me now I misspoke when I said open fermentation. This is, seems like the opposite of that. This is purely oak barrel fermented stuff. So I'm guessing, that, and I've smelled it to be fair, so I'm not picking up any of the uh, super uh, funky stuff that you'd get in in, brewery, in beers from a brewery like Degard. Um, mm-hmm. But I, on your on your thoughts on the vanilla, I think that it can act in in a beer like this often as like a rounding agent to kind of mm-hmm. soften those edges. Um, and I'm really curious about the jasmine. So I'm going to go in for my first drink, but have you had yours yet? I have. I've uh, had a few sips and I have to say, I really do enjoy it. It's, um, very juicy. Like, man, this is, is mouthwatering. Nectarines have this weird kind of in between where they can be really tart, but when they're ripe, they have this the beautiful tart sweetness to them that just is, is absolutely delicious. And yeah, nectarines are, I love any dessert with nectarines. I'll go for it. And I think this captures that in a nice way. Like it's a nice ripe nectarine flavor and the vanilla, like it really does smooth it and like mellow it. It's just, it doesn't overpower. There's not crazy notes of vanilla. I think it really Mm -hmm. just accentuates the nectarine in a nice way. Along the side of their can, they have sort of almost an ingredient list, including things of what it's blended with and cultures and fermented in and a a note on the carbonation. And at the top, when it says it's in the blend section, it says it's a blend of their simple Saison and aged hop Saison. Now I'm on record many a time saying that I don't typically love the flavor profiles of a Saison. And when I first tried this, I didn't taste any of that, but then on the back end, there's a lot of that sort of, um, the thing that comes to mind for me is like an apple cider vinegary kind of funkiness, um, which is, is after my first drink, kind of what's lingering though. When I did Mm. first drink it, I'm with you. Like it's very sweet and very round and, and, and fairly robust too. Like it doesn't feel too, um, I don't know, too, too pointy or sharp or, or thin. It feels like a really full beer. Um, but I got to go back in because that aftertaste is kind of throwing me for a loop. Mm. Yeah. It does have a little bit of that, the Saison yeasty type aftertaste for sure. I do. I would definitely say that this beer is nowhere near sweet. I know you said sweet, but I, it's not, Yeah, it's not super tangy and crazy sour. And by that, if you mean, you know, not, if you mean sweet in that way, yeah. But like, this is definitely not sweet in like sugary, like, wow, this is sweet beer. It's like I don't sweet, know, man. Like a, I got really? some sweetness for sure. Yeah. And there's also that tangy. I would say it's like, there's definitely tang for sure, but there's sweetness from those nectarines that I'm getting up front. I just think it's more masked pretty quickly by the other flavors. Mm. Yeah, definitely nectarines the star though for sure. Yeah, it's you. You obviously like it. I do. It really runs the border of too tart for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's real close. If this was any more tart and acidic, I would say oof. I gotta I gotta lay off. That being said, I think this is still a beer that I wouldn't want to consume a whole 16 ounces of. This is definitely something I'd want to split with someone or take to a share, especially with people that enjoy, you know, mixed culture fermentation and and sours and farmhouse wild ales, things like that. This would be a fun beer to try with real enthusiasts of the genre. But for me, it's I'm not an enthusiast of it. I'm a a dabbler. And as a casual dabbler, I like this. Um... I don't say I, I'm not going to say I love it, but I do like it. I think it's really, really well made. 
And I love that the Nectarines, the star, and everything else is just the supporting cast. Like the spirit knows what it is, and they they executed it really well. Just to uh, to since we're on the note, if there are uh, enthusiasts of this style, like I said, we're in Chico. But if these people are in Chico, can they get this in town? Yeah, this was actually purchased both beers this week at SNS Produce. It was a new arrival, some new distro to this area. I had never seen Celador before. Uh, which, if you're just listening, is spelled C-E-L-L-A-D-O-R, not like cellar door. Like, right. Nice. <clears throat> but yeah, brand new distro at SNS available, and there was plenty of them. So very achievable beer. A little bit on the more spendy okay. end, like a lot of these kind of very nuanced, definitely highly craft beers are. So yeah, you're going to spend a little bit more than average, but I think if you like this style, you're willing to pay for that. I think the fact that the description says this beer has a very mild acid profile makes me scared. Because if this is a very, they threw very, they didn't say mild, I said a very mild acid <laughs> profile. Like, I wonder what their idea of a heavy acid profile is. I think it might kill me. Because I, I don't know if it's just because I've been talking to you and we're developing similar tastes somehow, but I've developed more of a sensitivity to like heartburn and acid, similar to what you've been talking about for years. Like in the past year, I'm like, this is a little bit heartburny for me. Mm. And this is getting that a little bit, like it's just kind of sitting under my sternum in a way that's not my favorite, but not everybody has that reaction to acidic beers, you know? Yeah, totally. I know people that would drink this whole can and absolutely love it. So, you know, it just depends on what's right for you. For me, this beer isn't perfect for me, but like, you know, that's a very short list of beers that are. It's still really good. I'm a big fan. I think this is worth recommending to your friends that like sours. Yeah, for me, this is one of those weird ones, once we rate it here in a minute, it's one of those situations where I do think it's made really well. There's a ton of nuance in the flavor, and 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 I like I like most of the experience of this beer except the flavor. I like the mouthfeel. I like the carbonation. It's just one of those things that, for me, the, the, the stars of the show are things that uh, I think should be kept in the shadows most of the time for my mouth. Mm, fair enough. Well, it is our show and our rating, yeah. so you personally, on a scale of 1 to 10, young Maxwell, what do you rate this beer? I'm impressed by the audacity. Don't love the flavor. It's a four out of 10 for me. What about you? Fair enough. I feel like this is clocking in at, at a like a 6.8. I really do think it's tremendously made, and I love the nectarine, but it's definitely something I wouldn't reach for again unless I was sharing it with sour enthusiasts. So take that recommendation for what you will and uh, go from there. I think that's fair. Once again, you are listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. You might be listening on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you get a chance to try Happy Dagger, or for that matter, any other beers from Salvador Ales, we do want to know what you think. So reach out. If you post about it on social media, be sure to tag us. We will comment and tag you back, and we'll all follow each other. It'll be a ton of fun. That's right. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com, social media at Fresh Hop Cinema, or rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Now, here comes a trailer for Dune with no spoilers in the next segment. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? A boy. <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams. 
about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only a way of hanging my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. You need to be ready. You never met Harkness before. They're not human, they're brutal. The Duke suddenly sees too much. This is my dude. Kill them all. God in heaven. Get everything with guns off the ground! Go! This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. Dad, what if I'm not the future of House Atreides? A great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. If anything happens, will you protect Paul with my life? Only together can we stand a chance. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. Subscribe to us, Fresh Hop Cinema, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear this discussion in its entirety. It will be available tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. on all podcast platforms. What you just heard was a trailer for Dune. So since its inception as a book back in uh, 1965 by author Frank Herbert, Dune has been remade or at least been attempted to be remade about three different times. The most quote-unquote successful of these was the 1984 film adaptation by David Lynch. I say quote-unquote because the general population, in addition to David Lynch himself, basically considered it a huge failure of a movie with, with Roger Ebert calling it, and here's a quote for you, an incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into the murkier realms of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. That Over the might years, be the best sentence I've just, ever heard. What a, what, a, what a review to get for your movie, you know? Um, but over the years, people have just kind of chalked these cinematic shortcomings up to the theory that maybe the world of Dune just isn't filmable. Maybe it's maybe it's too big of a world. Maybe words like Kwisatz Haderach and Bene Gesserit and people with names like Baron Harkonnen and Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayim are they're just, maybe people just couldn't get on board with giant worms. That, lead, that eat anything that, that vibrates, though. I don't know where that would leave us for Tremors. Maybe Kevin Bacon. But 
Another theory is that maybe we just had the wrong pieces to this particular puzzle, or, or maybe we tried to put it together at the wrong time. In 2021, I would argue that we have the technology now to fully sort of realize the scope of a movie like Dune. And I would say in the hands of Denis Villeneuve, the director of, among other things, Blade Runner 2049, this movie might have a real shot of translating the original vision from the page to the screen. And add to that, the amazing cast of this film, we've got Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, uh, the son of Duke Leto Atreides, played here by Oscar Isaac, with the incredible Rebecca Ferguson playing Lady Jessica. She's Paul's mother. She's also a member of the Bene Gesserit, which, by the way, is essentially like this ancient organization of women who, over the course of the centuries, have been basically manipulating the gene pool to fulfill the prophecy of a messiah being born I also think I should get bonus points for demystifying that term in this intro. But we've also got Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Javier Bardem, Zendaya, Stephen McKinley Henderson, and Jason Momoa. Johnny, I want to know your thoughts uh, on this film, obviously, but also briefly maybe on your feelings towards the 1984 Dune, just so we can kind of get a taste of your relationship to this material. But before you do tell me that, would you please just tell me kind of when this film came out, its runtime, things like that? Dune was released September 3rd at the Venice Film Fest, is where it premiered in the United States. It dropped on HBO Max and in theaters on October 22nd, just, what, last week? Mm -hmm. A week and a half ago mm -hmm. here. Uh, it runs 156 minutes. The quick math on that is two hours and 36 minutes. Nice. Yeah, that's it. And the screenplay was written by John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and Eric Roth. So, that is the brass tacks of the facts. Let's get into our feelings. I like that. Brass tacks of the facts. Yeah, man. That's our next bumper sticker. You nice. Watch. So, so yeah, uh, you're 84, 84 Dune. You've seen it? I have. I've seen several versions of it. I watched the original with, I think, my dad mm -hmm. back in the day, and it, it was hard to follow, to say the least. Uh, not only just because of the density of the content and all the names and the houses and the plot, which... I mean, even back then, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Uh, and then we watched the kind of a fan edit that a uh, friend of the show and patron Chris Gomez recommended. The Spice Diver edit. The Spice Diver edit, yeah. which actually was a pretty coherent movie. Like, it was definitely in need of some chopping and cutting and pasting. So I liked the Spice Diver version quite a bit more than the original. It had much more of a, a through line and a followable plot, which okay. was was really nice. So my relationship with the old one was good. I mean, I was very familiar with the books like in high school and, uh, you know, had a fairly soft spot in my heart for the Dune attempts and mainly mm -hmm. the books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, had very high hopes going into this that this day and age we could get something of a worthy product. So what did I think? We've this, the cast was tremendous. I mean, yeah, I have to say that the, just the star power of this movie alone, I was like tingly with excitement because on paper this should be amazing, and I think it really laid the foundation for what could be one of the better science fiction franchises of our lifetime. Mm. Um, it has a lot of the touch and the style of Blade Runner twenty forty nine which I think was a superior movie. Let's get that out of the way. Um, but I liked what they did with this first installment of Dune. It was some amazing world building. We had introductions to some really cool characters. I love that they gave 
young Timothy Chalamet uh, some brooding space because, boy, there was a lot of brood. Mm-hmm. He was uh, brooding like a hen, let me put it that way. <laughs> um, I liked the overall dark kind of tone of this movie. It was very bleak. It was very cold. It had a very sparse, just kind of dystopian feel to it that really added to the whole vibe. It definitely felt futuristic. Uh, I liked like 80% of the CGI. Some Mm -hmm. of it felt a little bit forced in places, but when you're dealing with things on this scope, I think it's hard to not look fake at times because you're literally creating whole worlds and creatures and and vehicles that are not actually on the screen. So I give some of that a pass, but I did like the plot. It was cohesive. It was, you know, easier to follow. There's still a ton of names. Like even me being a fan, I mm-hmm. had to like pause it a couple times and be like, all right. So they said that house and those are the bad guys. And then I have to think, okay. And then how does this affect that? You know, there's definitely a density to it that requires quite a bit of mental fortitude yeah. to comprehend. But once you kind of get through that wall and you're just going with the flow and get into the vibe of this movie, it was a really cool experience. And I cannot wait to see what they do with chapter two. And maybe I've heard even like chapter three, because I know chapter two or film two, as we were going to call yeah, it, part um, two. 22 or 23 it's going to come out mm-hmm. so they've already confirmed that so this is definitely part one so i kind of have to look at it in that mental state of like okay this is just the first chapter in this trilogy so i really liked it um i want to rewatch it again i think it was visually pretty stunning i loved a lot of the cinematography uh Krieg Fraser nice. did an amazing job. Uh, he did Zero Dark Thirty, Lion, Rogue One, and Vice. So mm, we've mm-hmm, seen some stuff. Mm-hmm. We covered Lion, beautiful movie to look at, and really, really liked what he did with the visuals. The desert was crazy. I mean, there was a lot to like about this movie. If you're a science fiction fan like I am, you'll just appreciate it for what it is, is, is a f- seemingly fully fleshed out vision of something that was such a failed attempt in the 80s. Yeah, I also didn't, I saw it for the first time when we sat down with our friend Chris, and I don't feel the way you feel about that Spice Diver edit. That said, that's the only one I'd seen, so I'm not really referencing it to the first one, but I still think even that one was a bit of a mess. Like, for the most part, Dune Part 1, which is what we're talking about today, stuck to the storyline, but there were things going on, apparently, in the plot that I didn't even know were happening in the first one, because it is so dense, and there's so many words being thrown around all the time. I didn't know what Kwisatz Haderach meant until they changed it to Maudib later on. And in mm-hmm. this one, like I think I think the move of splitting this into two parts is incredibly smart. I will also say yeah. technically part two isn't confirmed. As far as I know, it's sort of, it's a big studio release. So I think they are doing it like, well, if it does well, then we'll fund the second one because it was pretty expensive. Though uh, I think it's like doubled its money already, if I'm not mistaken. So I think we're going nice. to be pretty okay. Um, mm-hmm. So... All that aside, I, th- I think to to normal sci-fi fans, like you'll want to see this. You'll want to. You've probably seen the original Dune, um, mm-hmm. and and for me, I'm kind of like halfway split between a great sci-fi fan and like a maybe I'll watch something if it comes on. So for me, it comes down to like just character stuff, and mm-hmm. if we're gonna argue that the primary character here is Timothy Chalamet's character Paul Atreides, you need to buy Timothy Chalamet as this character. I think first and foremost. In the OG, you had Kyle MacLachlan as Paul Atreides. And 
I didn't think he was very good. I, I didn't mm-hmm. think the performance was very good. I think the dialogue he was given was kind of crap. I also think you're hitting on a very key point, letting Timothy Chalamet brood. Especially in like this, he's just soaking in this environment and the lighting's so amazing. And, and you can just buy that, that the world he is in is real. I think, that, you know what? That's the thing. You got to buy the world. Okay, you got to mm-hmm. buy the world of Dune. It's so huge and so hard to capture. I think you made a mistake watching this at home, by the way. I saw it in the XD theater and it was awesome. It's just well, so I almost big. watched. I almost watched it on a flight, and I figured I would flagellate myself yeah. if I did that. So at the very least, I watched it on my big screen. Yeah, but yeah. I that's, would like to go see this in XD. I think that's a real move. I mean, just yeah. I mean, there's there's ships the size of I don't really know towns. They're huge. I don't even know how to conceptualize how big they are. But like when you land in a different planet. It's just got a, a hugely different effect, I imagine, on a, on a giant screen. So that's a pro tip. See this in theaters if you can. Um, aside from buying the world and Timothy Chalamet, part of the fun of this is is getting to watch these 2021 special effects versus the 1984 effects. Mm-hmm. There's there's a character, there's the Baron Harkonnen in, in 84 is this sort of, I can't think of how he's described in the books, but he's this giant, he's so big he can't walk, so he kind of floats. And it's yeah. very, very comical in the first movie mm-hmm. in, in the 84 and it's really hard not to make that comical i think they almost achieve it here with stellan skarsgård's harkening yeah. but it's still kind of goofy and i think there's some intrinsic elements of the world that was built by herbert that you can't quite fully take seriously mm-hmm. and that might be some of the shortcomings here because other than that the emotional investment that i found the time spent between these characters particularly paul and his mom rebecca ferguson's character was really well done and I felt very invested way more than the, than the original movie. And I think if if there was just it wasn't quite perfect but it is really really good. I enjoyed it a lot, man. I I want to see it again because even as diluted as it is in this single uh, installment, it's still dense. So yeah. I want to see it again, but it's it's great. It was an awesome watch. I was stoked to uh, to check it out. I would love to revisit it. And those are my definitely initial thoughts, maybe slightly more. I love it. I want to just add one thing real quick before mm-hmm. I kind of piggyback on your thoughts. Um, Denis Villeneuve uh, issued a brief statement after Legendary Entertainment and Warner Brothers confirming Dune Part 2 would be going to production for an October 20th, 2023 release date. Oh, cool. That's great to know. Then, yeah, perfect. I, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, Hell yeah. I'm so here for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, give me... I, go ahead. Sorry. I wanted to piggyback on a couple things you said. I think uh, just a genre-specific... Uh, built-in suspension of disbelief has to be employed when Mm -hmm. watching Mm -hmm. anything of like super high science fiction. And I agree that the floating uh, Baron Harkonnen in the first one was just laughable. I mean, he was such a, he was a diseased like caricature bag that just floated like a helium balloon. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He was somewhere between, you know, bad science fiction and Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Exactly what I thought of. Yeah. With those bubbles, Um, the bubble scene. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they definitely succeeded in vilifying uh, Baron Harkonnen in this, just with like the dark oozing oils everywhere, like up the creep factor significantly. I think him floating around was still, I mean, it's still always going to be a little silly just because you're thinking of the first movie. But in the context of this movie, it definitely was creepier and way scarier than 
excuse me, than the first one. So I, I dug that. Let me jump in right there, and I can tell this is going to be a good conversation, but I do have to cut you off in the interest of our radio listeners, which is a pretty good teaser for people to listen to the podcast version of this show. But for now, if that's okay, sir, I am going to say, once again, you have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema on KZFR 90.1 FM, maybe. Dune is in theaters now and streaming on HBO Max. We're going to rate it. <laughs> then I'm going to finish saying what I was going to say. <laughs> Out of 10, Johnny Summers, what do you give Dune? Uh, it is a 9.1. 9.1. That is a really great score. I'm going to give it an 8. I'm pretty sure once I see it again, it is going to go up. If you get a chance to see Dune, you got thoughts of your own, you got a rating of your own, find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema or send an email to fhccast at gmail.com. Or head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for movie reviews, beer reviews, and podcast episodes going all the way back to 2016. To our KZFR listeners, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, which includes spoilers for <laughs> Dune, a second beer, our discussion of last night in Soho, plus the always unpredictable and ever-entertaining Hot and Bothered segment, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to us. Fresh Hop Cinema. To those of you already listening to the podcast, we'll be right back to talk spoilers, another movie, and another beer in the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Everybody, welcome to the Danger Zone. This is the part of the show where I apologize for cutting Johnny off in the radio edit of the podcast. So, Johnny, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. It's all right, man. It's only fitting reviewing a movie like Dune that like this episode be one of the more dense and content filled yeah. things that we've ever done. And we're doing two, two movies. Movie reviews. Yeah, right. yeah <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm super stoked that you liked Dune. That is makes me happy. I was really kind of scared that you would hate it and find some way to get me to hate it because <laughs> I listened to you for some stupid reason. No, man, it's um, good. I liked it a lot. Dude, just it was so pretty to look at. Yeah. I mean, it was like even at home in my, you know, UHD, like full on crispy sound system. I'm mm. like, this isn't big enough. I yeah. get it. I'm going to yeah. go to the theater. Uh, but man, yeah, what a fun movie. And I loved the seriousness of it. I think that was something that was really missing from the old ones. And there was just that that heaviness of the, yeah. the universe and the responsibility and like the figurative cross that young Paul Atreides is bearing in his responsibilities to his family and the, the pressures of his father and man, and the cast, the fucking cast. Dude. Yeah. Like yeah. the only person that was obviously, I think a little, eh, but they needed a space bro and they got one. Dude, I loved him. Go ahead. In case people don't yeah, know somehow. Like, yeah. Duncan Idaho. Yeah. Jason by, Momoa. Uh, one Jason Momoa. I dug it. Uh, I wish there was more Duncan yeah. Idaho. Okay, so with on that note, just in case you haven't heard of Danger Zone before, we are now we're going to talk spoilers for Dune. If you haven't seen it, that's your warning. Spoilers, um, done. Okay, yeah, which sucked when he died, but he went out in a pretty badass way. I feel like we should also maybe unpack the plot to this movie a little bit. We haven't said a thing about it. I mean, we can. It's pretty dense. Just give. Okay. Yeah. yeah here Ready? We go. Sure. Time Thirty out. second plot. Okay. All right, go. All right, I'm gonna fuck up so many words. Okay, on Arrakis, that's where spice spice is like the shit that makes people travel through space really fast. Everybody loves spice. The Harkonnens are the bad guys. They are there. They're put there by the Imperial Kingdom, and then Imperiums like leave. House Atreides is taken over. Atreides moves in. There's a massive overthrow. They all die except for Paul and his mom, and then they venture out into the desert, almost get eaten by worms. And they meet the Fremen, and that's kind of where the movie ends. That's it. That's I think a I good did plot a really synopsis. good job. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the emperor is essentially playing chess with these the quote unquote right. great the great houses, which, which is, is like a huge point in the plot, which I'm sure was in the original movie. I just didn't pick up on it. Yeah, yeah. Like they're bet- House Atreides is betrayed because the empire. I keep wanting to say the empire, but I obviously can't call it the empire. The imperial forces. No, it's an emperor, and he. Con- an emperor controls an empire. It's just Star Wars. I feel like Star emperor. Wars has IP on that. Like I can't just say sure. the empire, you know, especially the emperor. Room. Yeah. Right. But also <laughs> the imperial. Evil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whatever. So like he then has the Harkonnens go back and wipe out house Atreides with the help of a weirdly honorable traitorous doctor, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked his character quite a bit. The, the doctor. Yeah. He's the one person. And- Oh, no, he's in the cast. His name, yeah, played by Shang Chen. Yeah. And also, I liked the uh, Imperial, like, basically space samurais that they sent in. Yeah, like the elites. Yeah, those guys were cool. Dude, there's some great fight scenes, particularly uh, in that sequence when the 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 attack on on Arrakis, on the on the palace, is happening. Yeah, Like, dude. way cool. There's uh, the, oh, here's another, speaking of terrible special effects from the original, the sparring shields that they use. Mm-hmm. looks they're fine whatever it's 84 they're doing the best they can here they're like they're awesome they look so yeah. cool their shields do though yeah they do i was sort of curious like i thought they were putting it uh, at one point um is it is it duncan idaho that says it's him during sparring no he's sparring with josh brolin's character mm-hmm. and he like cuts him because he goes slowly and he's like the slow knife pierces the shield or whatever mm-hmm. and i thought that was like a training setting but apparently that's all those shields could do so, mm-hmm. of course, if you're the bad guys, you invent little bullets that drill slowly through the shield. But it's like, why wouldn't you make the shield not have that? Why wouldn't you just be like, no blade pierces my shield? Why would you, right. you know? That seemed yeah, dumb we, to me. We have shield deflecting technology here. Like, can't like, we just turn it up? Oh, all you have to do is stab someone super slow. I know. <laughs> like, as, can you imagine being the author? It's like, what's more exciting than stabbing someone fast? Slowly. I mean... It is a bit more ominous and impending. I like kind of like it, but yeah, it's like you feel like they could work out that tech. Uh, yeah, that was a little little problem I had. But there's a dope scene where Jason Momoa is shot with one of those, and he's like, just flex it with his sword. He's I liked him in this. Is how we got on this thing about spoilers, by the way. Yeah, I think he's gonna be one of the. I mean, he already kind of is, but like in better roles, I see him being a very successful action star in the next 10 years. Yeah. I saw our friend, Chris Gomez, who's obviously going to come up a lot in this discussion or already has. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said something that I locked into, which is like, I think if you, or maybe I said this, but he said, he, <laughs> he said he liked Jason Momoa quite a bit. And I think I said, if you don't give him, yeah, like too, too, too many lines or too much dramatic heft, I think he does a pretty good job. He's great at like mm-hmm. grunting and picking things up and then throwing them. He's great at that shit. Yeah. Uh, I've been watching the Apple TV original See. series. C. How is it? And it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's filling a nice like kind of high fantasy, grimy Game mm-hmm. of Thrones vibe mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and he's really good in that. And it he's playing it a lot more serious. So yeah. I think given the correct writing and maybe proper direction, he could be like a little bit more on the serious side. He's always going to have that to his personality. But if they can find a way to like subdue that for a role and make it work in the moments it needs to. Yeah. That's like a recipe for success. Kind of like uh, Chris Pratt, I think, mm. you know, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. he's funny naturally and in small doses. But that movie, The Tomorrow War, really solidified in my mind how, man, he's going to be the next action star. What do you want to be? I'm going to say it right now on this podcast that Jason Momoa 
and Chris Pratt are going to star in an action movie hmm. together in the next five years. Ooh, I'm going to take you one step further and say a buddy cop movie. Ooh, action comedy shit. like circa oh four the other guys or is that a th- oh, oh, that'd be maybe? so great they're both just like homicide detectives as long as it's not like i don't want it to be that derivative you know i'd love something new yeah or maybe uh they're both like in a fincher movie or something that would be weird i I'm, there's never been a joke in a fincher movie ever no no but it would it would have to be the right movie i mean you oh you mean that. the edgar wright movie because if you put them in an edgar wright movie that would be great that could be, yeah. They would need that chemistry of like a, you know, like the almost Indiana Jones style vibe of like sarcastic humor that Harrison mm-hmm. Ford brought with like straight up action. But yeah, yeah, I think that's I'm I'm calling it within the next five years they're gonna do something together and it's gonna be rad. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, um, um. Okay, so let's let's see what else we, what else do you want to talk about here? I've got a few thoughts obviously, but I don't want to just steamroll the conversation. I like that they didn't do any worm riding. They alluded to it, and I think we saw someone riding <laughs> yeah, a worm. Yeah, but we did. they didn't just go full on with Paul Atreides, you know, lassoing a worm in the first movie. That happens left- towards the end of it. It's going to ha- better happen. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah, but I like that. And I like that they teased Zendaya's character enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was some some articles that came out that, you know, oh, it's bullshit. She was only in it for seven minutes. Yeah. But it's because I think the next movie she's going to be yeah. co-starring with yes. Chalamet. I think that's the natural evolution of this series. And, and I'm okay with it, you know. I think using an actor or actress sparingly when you know that it's going to be a sequel where they mm. star in it is okay. Like, leave me wanting more. Like, leave me something to come back for to be excited about in this next movie. Totally. Some of the things that I really didn't like in the original was was the mythology and the use of sort of the powers. I almost started the sentence like it was a transition from what you were saying. This is a different subject. Is like they shoot guns with their inner voice kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that doesn't play well at all in the 84 to me. But they do obviously have to explore the idea of the, the Bene Gesserit sort of um, com- compelling kind of spooky word thing. And I yeah. think that worked really well. I think that was one of the better adaptations um, not just because of technology, but but specifically the way it was shot a lot of the time. There's this great oh, yeah. scene when uh, when uh, the Reverend Mother is going to give him the somebody don't shoot me the test where he puts his hand in the box. The mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to try it. I can't think of it. But she commands him to come over, and the camera does this really cool like almost like an inversion, like almost like a vertigo effect where the camera backs up, but it zooms in, so he kind of just gets sucked in. It's an and it doesn't spend too long on it. And it's like it's just, you can almost blink and miss it, which is the idea for probably how it feels being told th- with that voice. And then we're like there and he's like crumpled, crumpled at her knees. I was like, oh, shit, that's what that's like. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. What a power to have. Yeah, exactly. I really like I agree with you completely that they subdued that quite a bit. Like yeah. it made it more creepy and like it somehow added power to it. Like we yeah. don't need to control guns with that. That's just a little silly and over the top. Um, but what they did was make it like a more ominous kind of Dune version of the force from Star Wars. Right. It's really hard not to draw those parallels, but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also thought that the box scene was really well done. Like you could see a director taking that and, and going a little bit crazy with the, uh, the special effects or, or like just really overdoing it. But I think for the most part, we got to stick with Timothy Chalamet's reaction. I think there were some flashes of fire maybe to sort of give us the idea of what he's feeling. But for the most part, we saw them act it out, which was great. 
Yeah, in a movie and a genre where it's easy to over CGI things, yeah. giving an actor room to breathe, especially one of Chalamet's character uh, and quality, yeah, is go. is tremendous. Like, let that dude act. That's why he's here. We're here for him to act. But let him do that. Yeah, and and I love that they did that. They lay they let actors breathe and gave them room to embody these characters in this movie, and that that makes it so much easier to empathize and and really invest so yeah that can't be understated the the acting and like you said the deep investment like you were hooked you were in and yeah. some of the the acting in this was was surprisingly good for a science fiction movie i think this could you know villeneuve is setting a new bar for the level of science fiction acting like he's making it into an art form again not something to be scoffed at it's not second rate cinema anymore it's first rate with first rate acting who called After it second rate cinema who you been talking What's that? to i mean who, who called it that you're really gonna say that like the acting in star wars one of the best science fiction movies ever was like top notch like there were no great actors of their day starring in the biggest science fiction movies ever i mean maybe like mm. an arnold schwarzenegger in Terminator. Yeah, Again, but nobody's going to make the case he's doing great acting. So Exactly. Right. So bringing A-list acting into this genre is something that's going to change the whole landscape of film for the next 10, 20 years, I'd say. I feel like there's someone just like screaming at the radio like, you're not thinking of these obvious. <laughs> there's like right. some, yeah. I, I, granted, I'm not super well-versed on sci-fi, I guess, but I am inclined to agree with you. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been you know blips in the radar, but not mm-hmm. not of this caliber, not with this many A-listers, and with this actual amount of tremendous acting. None come to mind for me. So if they're out there, email me, and I will. If I'm wrong, I will say so. Fair but enough. Either way, I think we can all agree that this is pushing film into a really entertaining, fun place with new ideas mm-hmm. and way more fun things to watch on screen and. I'll never complain about that. You got anything else on Dune? No, I think I'm good, man. Want another beer? Yeah, I do. Okay, then one more time. Uh, Dune is available in theaters, which I think, and I think Johnny thinks, the place to see it, but you can watch it at home on HBO Max. Johnny Summers, what is beer number two? Plus, plus, good. Is that what we're sticking with? There must be a better way. Um... No, but I can't plus plus good. <laughs> plus plus good is our second beer from Celador. It is a seven percent rustic farmhouse ale, dry hopped with mosaic. And I got this basically just to troll Max, and hopefully he likes it. It's like uh, but it's I, a combination of of one of my favorite things and one of my least favorite things. Yeah. Also, be careful when you open it. This beer as well is very full. That's because of the Illuminati, probably. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> and you can tell them why in a right, second. Okay, good, thanks. All right, plus plus good. This was fermented and aged in neutral French oak wine barrels with a mixed culture of saison yeasts, Britannomyces, and lactic acid producing bacteria. Yeah. Brewed with Bohemian Pilsner, Vienna, spelt oats, and wildflower honey. Did you do you know what the honey does? Yeah, it makes it taste better. And it makes it bubbly because they put it in and then oh, the it, honey it ferments it and it, it carbonates it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. If you look at the side of the can, it says that. It says uh, carbonation, naturally conditioned with local orange blossom honey. I'm pretty sure the first one said that too, actually. I think you're correct. I uh, forgot to mention it, but you know, better late than never. Thanks for enough. calling me out. Uh, the can has the very, very zoomed in. I think that's the eyeball from the dollar bill, right? Uh, yeah. Is that the idea? That's what I saw. I Which think so. I feel like is what is associated with the Illuminati, though I don't know. Who knows? Triangles and eyes and yeah, crazy it's like shit, Illuminati. man. Okay. 
You ever just look at a dollar bill, man? There's some freaky shit happening on there. This is a that's a conspiracy. This really is a Gomez type episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Plus plus good. I'm. It's in my glass. I I I got it. Yeah. I'm not the most thrilled to try this. Farmhouse sales not my jam all the time. So I'm just gonna keep talking until I think I've spoken long enough. That there's a pretty good chance. Nay, I dare say a definite 100 percent chance of positivity that you finally, by the time I finish speaking, tried the beer first. With certainty. <laughs> I have indeed. And I really like it. All right. Well, give I me more thoughts. I'll, I'll try it. All right. I think this is damn good. It's got just enough of the zippy, bright, crispy tanginess, uh, coupled with like a really clean, crisp, smooth drinking beer. I mean, it's it's really zippy up front, but then it, it mellows out into a nice farmhouse ale like it's definitely not sour through and through and it's way less sour than the first one this is really approachable uh i'm a big fan of what are usually described as like a tart saison or like a dry hop tart saison i've had a few from oh god prairie thank you that i really enjoy uh and i usually will buy a can of a tart saison if i find one because they usually come in like 12 ounce. This one's a 16. Um, but I really, really like that style because they often marry that that funkiness and the the barnyard flavors with like a usually like a nice crisp tartness. And I think this does that really well. It's tart up front, smooth on the back. Like I would probably crush this whole can. I, I'm a fan of this beer quite a bit. Max, do you hate it? This is fucking good. Right? Yeah, no, this is really nice. It's it's way less funky than I was afraid it was going to be, which totally. I guess kind of makes sense because oftentimes when you do get hoppy saisons, I think those are about the only saisons that I mm. have enjoyed really. I know maybe it is the one from Perry that I'm thinking of also. Um, man, if I was a real pro, I could think of what it was called, but the uh, one with the little flowers on mm-hmm. it. Yep. Yeah. I don't remember, but I love that beer. Yeah, it was super good, man. I think there's only been a handful that I've really enjoyed over the years. Um, and this is, this is going to be one of them, maybe towards the top of that, uh, group of beers, which, which is not again, one of my favorite groups of beers in general. So I don't know how much I'm going to love this on a second drink. Now that I've sort of gotten over the shock of how not bad it is compared to how bad I thought it was, <laughs> yeah, but I once, really like it so far. Now that it's quenched your terrible expectations, right? you can actually go in and give it kind of an objective taste. I was scared. Yeah, for sure. No, it's. You know what's funny is you've really liked every good tart saison that I've brought to the show that I personally enjoy. So oh, okay. yeah. I might need to just like curate some for you and like buy two cans, try it, and if it's not good, never speak of it. But if it is good, give you the other can. I think that's a great idea. I, yes, yes, you may give me beer. I, I accept. Okay, especially if I curate it first. I'll be like the yes. uh, the king's poison checker. Yeah. I'll just drink it and be like, here, Lord, it's good. <laughs> you know, this is 7% too, which is pretty surprising, on at least based on how it's tasting. Because it yeah, drinks it fairly light. Seriously, I would think maybe f- between 4 and 6 on the high end. Yeah, I was going to say 5 to 6, so yeah. Um, it's good, man. I'm, I'm digging it. I've had a couple more sips now. I think it's really mellow enough. With some of that, like there's still some of that farmhouse flavor. You get some funk and a little bit of grassiness and, and, but there is like that, that bitter hoppiness that's kind of counterbalancing those funkier notes. And a really kind of enjoyable sweetness on the end too. It yeah. finishes with a, out of nowhere. And I'm guessing that's the honey. And I'm Who like, knows, yeah. 
really liking that. It is because it, it's got that floral vibe and mm-hmm. knowing that it's orange blossom honey. That adds a really nice finish where it's like, ooh, it's like uh, 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 Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, Those they're sour, yeah. then yeah. they're sweet. Sure. Those are some heart, heart, uh, heartburn inducing candies also. Yeah. Those are, but I love them. I do too. They're so good. <laughs> they're so yeah, good. I love I them, but stop. I hate them. Those no bastards. <laughs> Seriously. Um, no, this beer is, has got enough of that like nuance and farmhousey weirdness to be super interesting mm-hmm. and like making your palate like sense a bunch of different things. It, it sets off a bunch of different areas in your tongue and makes you feel things in your mouth that are really enjoyable. Nobody isolate that sound. Was that on um, the mic? No, the, uh, doing things in your mouth that feel enjoyable. Cosmic misunderstanding. Uh, Nobody even knows what I'm talking about. So great. Oh yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. okay. But yeah, it has enough of those things to make it super interesting, but it has this backbone of just being super drinkable that I think is, is paramount in a beer that I'm going to enjoy more than eight ounces of. Like you can be really great and interesting, but if it's not like drinkable and just makes you want to drink more, like what's the point? I mean, I want to want more than four ounces of a beer. And so often, I don't for this show, but this one I think I'll probably kill the whole can. I think this has a ton of nuance, just enough funk, some excellent hoppy presence with that beautiful honey finish. This is this is up there, dude. This is probably one of the better beers I've had this year. Oh wow, dude, that's really great news. I was gonna say your your analogy, not analogy, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna wow, my I'm having a hard time today. I'm going to <laughs> make an analogy, which is basically like. Because some people do just want to drink beers and maybe the way that it tastes and their enjoyment isn't even their first factor. They're like, well, let me get the most interesting, weirdest, coolest beers or whatever. And I don't usually use that as my barometer. And it's kind of like for me, and here's the analogy, like the original Dune packed with material, probably pretty close to the original source material. And there's so much, but it's not fun to watch. And it's not, it's not satisfying. It's very hard to understand if you haven't read the book and this one, the new Dune, takes that into consideration. It's like, maybe the people watching this want to enjoy the experience. And I think this beer right. does the same thing. It's like, this is a very well-balanced version of what the style can be. I think that was a great analogy. What a tie in. Thank you. Man. I appreciate that. You should have a podcast on that note. I am ready to rate plus plus good. If you are, uh, I am this beer for me is outstanding. I, I love it for all the mentions that I've reasoned. <clears throat> sure. <clears throat> this sure. beer is a 9.4. My God, that's very high. 9.4? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This that's is great. a tremendous beer. It's super well-made. It's interesting and drinkable, and it strikes just that amazing balance between the two that I don't find often. Usually either a beer is super interesting, but I don't want a ton of it, or super crushable, but it's you know one-dimensional, like it, crisp and delicious, but not much to it. Yeah, and I boring. love the fact that this beer makes me think, but not too much. It's <laughs> it's really really good. Uh all right, it's great man. It's it's a 6 for me. I think it's it's good. But again, it there's those flavors in there that I'm not clamoring for almost ever. In fact, I would say there's never been a day where I woke up and I was like, "You know what? The beer that I want this evening is is a funky farmhouse ale." But if I had to have one, this is probably towards the top of the ones I would reach for. So, 6 for me, 9.4 for you. You got anything else on plus plus good or beers in general today? Uh, if you uh, identify with anything I've just uh, said, do yourself a tremendous favor and go 
to SNS and buy Plus Plus Good immediately, and then tag us on social media, nice. and then tell me what you think so we can rave about it and discuss how wrong Max is. Incoming, gird thine ears, because it is a trailer for The Last Night in Soho. It's a new film from director Edgar Wright. Per usual, um, I guess that doesn't really apply. Not per usual. We don't usually do two full reviews of movies and episodes, but we will break up the conversation into a pre-spoiler and post-spoiler section. So if you haven't seen it yet, you've got a few minutes. So enjoy the trailer and don't turn us off. What so what brings you down then? I'm studying London College of Fashion. Right room is on the top floor. It's perfect. I love it. If I could live any place and any time I'd live here, in London, in the 60s. Last night, I saw something in my dreams. And you are? Sandy. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? They really happened. What did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. That killed her is still like that. I have to stop him. Where are you going? I know what you did. I've done a lot of things. You can have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. Johnny Summers, read me that. Actually, first remind people what they just heard. Last Night in Soho, the brand new 2021 Edgar Wright flick. And quite frankly, this is an amazing time for movies because there is stuff coming out. Rapid fire. So lucky to have not enough weeks, but too many great movies to mm. cover. So last night in Soho, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be. And the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. Right. So, right. Edgar, right. He is the director on this. He's directed movies such as Baby Driver, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. He also put out a documentary early this year in January. It premiered at Sundance called The Sparks Brothers, which neither of us have seen. This What's movie, that about? It's about a band. It's a duo who are brothers. And boy, does their music make sparks. This has a screenplay by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson Cairns, who was also a screenwriter on the film 1917 with, and I think the cinematographer here extra deserves a shout out because it's 
awesome. Uh, Chung mm-hmm. Hun Chung, who I think most famously was probably the DP on Old Boy, which, which was, was a, so good. I actually haven't seen it, but I've seen a lot of the oh. scenes from it. It's a 2003 South Korean film that is just wild. Um, okay, double check that because there was a Korean version and a U.S. version, and the U.S. version had, I believe, Josh Brolin. Oh, yeah, I have not seen that. I'm talking about the OG one. Okay. Yeah, no, old boy, you are correct. That is the South Korean neo-noir action thriller. Dude, there's a great hallway fight scene, and the camera and the main character are just working in tandem. It's so cool. It's like one of the best long-take fight scenes ever. I have to watch the 03 version because I've only seen the newer one. Is the new one with Josh Brolin a remake of the old one? Yes. Stupid Americanized ripping people off. What a stupid thing. Right. Which is not what Edgar Wright does. He writes brand new stuff. And that is Last Night in Soho. Let's talk cast. You got Thomas and Mackenzie. She plays Eloise or, or Ellie as she goes by. She is the fashion designer that Johnny mentioned who goes to London from her home in the, what do you call that? Cornwall. What? She was from Cornwall. Oh, in Cornwall. The Thanks. Uh, then you have Anya Taylor-Joy who plays Sandy. She is the aspiring singer that we sort of get to live vicariously through in the 60s. We got Matt Smith playing Jack. That's Sandy's agent. You also have the last performance ever of Diana Rigg, Dame Diana Rigg. She played Miss Collins, Ellie's landlady that she starts to rent a room from once she decides she doesn't like living in the college dorm and the party scene and whatever else. And there's a couple other people we'll talk about. Um, but, and I'm saying this because I don't, think I want to give more away about the plot, but we can, if you want, do you think it's important that we do? Uh, I mean, medium, it's hard to not talk about the sp- plot without spoiling, spoiling yeah. it, spoiling wow. it. There's probably yeah. like a medium amount of spoiling we can do, but, uh, before we get to any of that, I suppose you want to give me runtime and release info again, please. Yeah, this runs 116 minutes and it came out September 4th at the Venice film festival and dropped widely in the United States on October 29th. So just last week. So I didn't know much about this. I, I specifically avoided watching trailers. I, I think I saw maybe like the first 10 seconds of a trailer at first. And I thought this was going to be like a big dazzling sort of 60s nostalgia piece. And that was going to be fun and lighthearted in the line <laughs> of literally everything else Edgar Wright has done. There's going to yeah. be quick editing and fun and comedy. And and it's not that. It's definitely a dark story of if if I'm reading it, right? Sort of this tendency that we have as people to sort of um, – you know, look at the past through rose tinted glasses and, and sort of a, a commentary on the seediness of definitely the 1960s London scene, but maybe just showbiz in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can, yeah, we can get into the machinations of the plot and how things kind of work, the use of mirrors and, and, and identity and time jumping and all sorts of shit. But before we do, what do you think of this? Uh, I knew that it was going to be something different from Edgar Wright. I mm-hmm. think definitely more so than you did. Uh, what I found was a real deep dive into like supernatural almost and definitely like psychological mm-hmm. thriller territory. Uh, it's definitely the darkest thing that Edgar Wright has ever done and in the most serious. I think this was really not a comedy and didn't have the lighthearted, fast-paced, witty anything that Edgar Wright is known for. I think Baby Driver was maybe a nice segue into this because it did have some darkness to it mixed in with the the amazing soundtrack and the snappiness of the editing and all that. But um, he shied away from a lot of his usual tricks. There were definitely some, but really this was a lot about cinematography and lighting and drama and the interaction between the present and the past and, and idealizing noir 
and and what came before and lots of just interesting self-discovery too in, in Thomas and Mackenzie's part, just trying to figure out how to navigate the world in the big city and then uh, kind of getting taken back and, and Anya Taylor-Joy kind of giving her some confidence and that translating into her own life. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, you know, part personal discovery, part horror, psychological thriller, um, definitely more ominous and gloomy than even I was expecting. And I knew to expect that. Uh, so really a dark tone to this whole movie, which is kind of fun. It's kind mm-hmm. of a delicious little morsel of like dementedness from Edgar Wright, which is, is cool. Like it's nice to see him branch out from his, you know, not formulaic, but bordering but yes. on formulaic, yeah. you know, very formulaic adjacent type filmmaking into something completely new that he hasn't done. And, it was definitely creepy. It had real rapey vibes most of the movie, like just icky, predatory, mm-hmm. just woof. Like being a woman navigating the world in England in or London specifically in sure. the 60s versus now and really not much has changed. Right. A little bit has, right. but not much has. Uh, I loved Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy in this movie. I think they were both tremendous as... I'm going to go ahead and call them co-stars in this yeah, because they sure. pretty much shared the same amount of screen time. A lot of times they shared the screen and were in fact, you know, mirroring each other's so movements cool. like in the mirrors. There was so much camera work and just the synchronicity of those two actresses was really cool and fun to watch. And Thomas and Mackenzie's amazing. And she just keeps proving that to us. And so is Anya Taylor-Joy. And yeah. I think the amazingness that they both bring in such different ways uh, ended up giving us a pretty kind of cool special dark weird abstract wild movie to watch man i really liked it it was so unique and it had so many original thoughts and ideas and that's rare it's so lovely to see something that's not a remake not that dune wasn't awesome right yeah but yes it was um, you know, we, this week we're featuring a remake that was tremendously well done and also something that was brand new and originally thought out that was also well done. So mm-hmm. a real showcase of where filmmaking and major market cinema is in 2021. And if we're just going off these two movies, I think it's in a pretty cool place. So I'm pretty hot on Last Night in Soho. I think I liked it. I'm tired of talking. Max, what did you think? Yeah, you say I always feel like when you give your thoughts first, you always say so many things that I want to um get, talk about also that I just kind of tie my own thoughts into yours, which is what I'm going to do now cuz I also like Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy are great in this. What's funny to me is Edgar Wright's been maybe it's not been finished, but he's been working on this script on and off since like I think 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh and he actually talked to Anya Taylor-Joy about playing the Ellie character, the the fashion designer character. Mm-hmm. And for like a long time, like I think she was thinking she was on board for it. And then he finished. And then between him and um, Christy Cairns, Christy Wilson Cairns, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, they wrote the character of Sandy more fully. Originally she wasn't going to have any lines. He was going to hear her singing. And then mm. they started fleshing out that character and he right sent uh, Anya Taylor-Joy the script and was like, Hey, I think, I think we need you to be Sandy. And she, he was afraid she was gonna be like, Nope, Nope. I'm Ellie, whatever. That's how I envisioned it. And she was like, no, that's perfect. So then you get Thomas and McKenzie to be Ellie. And I feel like those two actresses bring so many different things to the table. Like, I I don't know. Maybe it's just the movie she's been in. But Thomas and McKenzie does have more of a timid kind of like country vibe to her. I think it worked really well. 
Yeah, much more innocence. Totally. And Anya Taylor-Joy can kind of do that commanding the room thing that makes you believe she might have been this audacious sort of aspiring singer in the 60s. Yeah. So right off the bat, I think I was surprised pleasantly by the casting choices. Loved that. I was also pleasantly surprised by the turn you are talking about in this being an Edgar Wright film. Like I was (laughs) so caught off guard. Like, it right. was, like maybe, maybe an hour before I went in, I saw that this was like branded as a scary movie, which I don't think is correct. It's not a scary movie to me. Mm-mm. It's definitely creepy. There are some scary moments, but I think what makes it, what could make it scary is this idea of idealizing the past, you know, like, uh, she, I don't know. She goes to London and it's not what she expected. And then it just kind of mm-hmm. concretes in her or, or solidifies in her brain, this idea that, man, if I could just go back. Like I've missed my train. I should have been alive in the sixties. Like I've heard so many people say that, like I was born in the wrong era. Yeah. Like my life would have been say better all the time if I were born, whatever. Cause, cause back then it was better and whatever people appreciate it. I've said this before. If I played music in the sixties, it'd be better because people listen to music. It doesn't matter. And all of that's pretty innocent, but it's when that sort of mentality takes on almost like a group think type of deal. And the one that comes to mind is the make America great again thing. It's like, the response was like, when, when was America great? Like when were nightclubs not seedy? When were men not exploiting young women's dreams to have sex with them? Like we mm-hmm. have this collective societal idea of romanticizing the past and overlooking like all of the problems that were in it. And I think that's the scary part. This movie yeah, just happens to manifest that as horror in a tangible way with all these ghosts that we start seeing. Yeah, that's, that's really well said, especially it becomes scary when we start ignoring the progress that we've made and how much better even marginally things sure. are now for people that it was terrible for in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So actually I do kind of want to talk about sort of the creepy stuff. Like I, I think the, the effects that are used and maybe we'll start getting into spoilers here. Do you think that's fair? Do you want to give us a rating yeah, before fine. we spoil it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, last night in Soho, Johnny Summers out of 10. Ooh, out of 10. This was like a 8.9. 8.9. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's a nine. I think it's really, really well done. Um, I like that we're sort of just off the off the rails here format-wise, but we'll say now, should I play the Dangerous, dangerous Zone sound again, or should we just, just go into no, it? No, man, just do it. Spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. Oh, we should, okay, I'm going to just take that, and I'm going to make it sound all weird. Hang on. I'm, yeah, that's okay. That was the fun new sound for Spoiler Zone. <laughs> that's the section of the show where we do two movies at once, but it's not technically the Danger Zone, so we made a new sound bite. It's all the Danger Zone, man. Okay, so the ghosts. Yeah. I love this idea. I like the idea of of making a physical manifestation of shit that's happened. Because I don't believe in ghosts in the traditional sense. Like I don't think, I don't think, I guess the most traditional sense, and we're just coming off of Halloween, which makes this very appropriate. Like, I don't think these are the souls of tormented people that are stuck on earth that are here to haunt you. I also just watched The Conjuring, by the way, so I'm feeling very oh, nice. ghosty. But I do like the idea that that like there's a some type of remnant of something often bad things that have happened and i don't there's no logic behind this i just it feels a certain way like if i found out that three people had been murdered in a house i probably wouldn't buy that house mm. and i i don't know people are different about this for me that freaks me out so the way that they approach these ghosts in this movie worked really well for me Mm-hmm. Well, you've seen a ghost story, so I know. that makes sense. Yeah, but the idea of like trauma and experience, particularly bad experience, being tied to a place, 
I think, very effective. What I was a little more curious about is the suggestions of Ellie's character having mental health problems. Her mom killed herself when she was young because she saw things or heard voices. Maybe she was schizophrenic. It's not made clear. And so now Ellie sees her mom in mirrors every now and again. And then that sort of escalates when she goes into the city and starts seeing all sorts of shit in her dreams at first, but then in real life. Mm -hmm. How did all that work for you when they started integrating it into her waking hours? It worked well. And because it was real in like her head and Mm -hmm. it definitely, because she was interacting with the actual world around her as if it was, you know, she almost stabbed a girl with scissors. Like she had, it it was, yeah, I mean, she really did. That girl was the worst. Oh my God. God, she was the worst. Yeah. She said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it worked for me. I really, it did. It worked for me. There wasn't a lot about this movie that didn't work for me. Yeah. There's something so scary about the, about dream logic. Any movie that is all of a sudden you're like, you're maybe you're asleep. Maybe you're not. I hate that stuff. That's, I hate that it. is so terrifying. Cause it's like, you remember that movie Oculus? It yeah. was, yeah. For people that don't know, it's about a haunted mirror, which you're like, but not scary. But then it's like the haunted mirror makes you see stuff that isn't happening. At one point, the main character takes a bite out of an apple and then snaps out of it. Turns out it's a light bulb and she's chewing glass. <laughs> yeah, like like if so you're odd. asleep, like th- the sky's the limit. You know, you could be doing anything. You could be killing somebody with scissors in a library in an eyeball when you think you're stabbing a ghost with no face. Yeah, That's so exactly. you're out of control. Yeah. And that adds that creepiness. Like you said, that's what made it unnerving and dabble into the realm of like horror and, and terror. Yeah. And, and I really did like that. And also the first act of this film, once Ellie gets to London, mm. uh, they really captured uh, the claustrophobic uh, oppressive experience that she was having in such a way that it gave me such bad anxiety. Mm-hmm. I was like, I fucking hate this movie. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to watch this anymore. Cause I'm like, it really, it was making my skin crawl. I was yeah. so, that was like the most disturbing thing in this movie for me. Cause I was just like, ugh, I did not like the feelings that those scenes gave me. So in that, I think they were very effective. Yeah, I agree, man. There's, there's a great, actually, this is maybe the one through line of Edgar Wright editing, quote unquote. In, in that sort of initial sequence, she leaves her room because her roommate, Yakasa brings a guy back to have intercourse with. And then she just <laughs> throws, very old-fashioned, puts a blanket on and puts headphones on and goes out. And then she falls asleep on a couch during a huge party. And then there's a quick cut, one frame, and then it's empty and it's her in the same spot. That's a very Wrightian type of edit, I think. Yeah, and there were a few of those, just yeah. the little snaps, yeah. you know? And I liked that. It, it had enough of his fingerprint but not so much that you were like distracted by it. Totally. I think it was super tastefully executed. Yeah. 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 That's a nice way of putting it. Cause you do sort of feel like, or I did at least like there is an expectation of, okay, I'm going to this director. I know what to expect, but I really do right? appreciate the idea of, of changing sort of a formula. Like what's a good example of this? Um, um, Oh, okay. Like Robert Eggers, right? The witch, the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, is now making uh, the uh, Northman, I think, the Northman, yeah. something like that, mm-hmm. which is like a, a, an epic Viking like action movie. I don't know. There's not a lot out about it, but it's not going to be the same. And I think he said this, not the same as his other two movies. And some people are like, why not? You're so good at what you're doing. But I'm like, yeah, try something new. Like you've cut your teeth on this one thing. You've proved yourself. Try something new. Do it. Yeah. Ari Aster's doing the same thing with his uh, his new movie coming out with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Those two guys, man, making great stuff. 
Can you imagine? I cannot wait for an Ari Aster Joaquin Phoenix movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be weird. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm so excited. But it's nice to see, like you said, that's the whole point, is like these amazing directors that have such a distinct style translating that into maybe different genres or just doing different things where yeah. enough of their personality shines through, but not in a way that overshadows the movie. Like their style, it's not about their style. It's about the finished product and the art that is the movie, which is right. amazing. I love that. Yeah, dude. Which is like the opposite of like a Mike. I don't, I don't want to shout people out, I guess, but like a Michael Bay movie, like it mm-hmm. almost seems always more about the spectacle. And, and there's always that stamp of like, shallow dialogue big explosion like, yeah, it's michael bay sure who cares yeah and there'll be like two people kissing in front of an explosion totally an explosion yeah absolutely you know there was a bit of comedy i suppose and and it was more just sort of lifting the spirits of an otherwise pretty dark environment but it was mm-hmm. uh michael i'm gonna say michael ahow a-j-a-o as john he's one of mm-hmm. ellie's um contemporaries in in fashion school and just the sweetest so sweet to the point where you're like you're something's wrong you're gonna turn out to be a bad guy Right. But he doesn't, which is wonderful, which seems like a natural segue into talking about if there is a bad guy. I'm going to argue that this movie has quite a bit of moral ambiguity by the end, which is another thing I appreciate. Like people aren't black and white. People's lives aren't black and white. There's good. There's bad. Things happen. There are circumstances you have to deal with. So at some point, this movie turns into a bit of a whodunit kind of because Ellie sees Sandy murdered in one of her dream visions. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I got to find out who did this. And if you're okay with it, I will just say who it was now. Yeah, go for it. It's her landlady. She was, Sandy's not dead. Sandy is alive and well, being played by Diana Rigg again as Alexandra Collins. She has turned her home, aka Ellie's place, into a sardine tin full of murdered, rapey dudes. Mm -hmm. Which I'm sort of on board with. That was all great. Yeah. Then she stabs John and then tries to kill Ellie and then stops killing Ellie. Because we should, I don't know if we need to unpack the scene. I just want to say the last scene really, really worked for me. It reminded me of the scene in Relic, which is a 2020 movie, which was great. If you haven't seen it, skip forward. It's a great movie. You don't want it spoiled. Spoilers for Relic. Love that movie. There's the final scene where they're finally almost out of the house. And then, um, I was going to say Mackenzie McHale's character. Um, Do you know her (laughs) name? I can't think of it right now. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, you Google that. I will keep saying the scene. They're finally escaping this house from, from the haunting of her mom. And then like they're struggling, they're almost dead. And then she turns around and is like, I can't leave her. I can't leave her to die. She's my mom. And it's the same thing that this last scene evoked where Sandy goes and sits in the burning room and just is like, this is it for me. And then we have to leave her though. It's just really tragic. Mm-hmm. Emily Mortimer. Thank you. Emily Mortimer. Um, but man, it was great. And then the final sort of culmination of all those ghosts being like, we're just trapped here. Please kill Sandy. And then at least like, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna, cause yeah, I feel like I don't know if you deserve rest. Right. Bro. Right. Man, it's real skeezy when that Jack character flipped too to being sort of a dick and we're all like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. of course that was going to happen. What? It's not this big fun, like dance in this nightclub and punch that jerk in the face who, by the way, gave off real strong Rupert from Ted Lasso vibes. I thought it was. I thought it was too for a minute. It was not, but felt like the same character. Like, mm-hmm. no, your life is not going to be coming to Soho uh, and finding this, this agent on your first night there and like, you're going to be a star. It's like, no, he's going to exploit you and make you have sex with rich dudes and tell you that's the way to make it. And yep. no, it's terrible. 
Agreed. You know what Soho means, by the way? Mm-mm. I keep, like, if you had to guess, what well, Soho, it's in London. I, oh, you know, I knew this at one point. It's like south of something. Ah, yeah? you're thinking it's, of south of Houston Street. Yeah. Yeah, that's in New York. You could yeah. also be thinking of Los Angeles when it means uh, South Hollywood. None of that's okay. true. And this was driving me crazy, by the way. I was like, what is, what is, what is Soho? It's, this is unclear. This is a little trivia for people. But the nearest I could find, and this is based on the Brewer's Dictionary of London Phrase and Fable. It's also in Wikipedia. Soho is an old hunting cry used in that area in the 16th century. And it's, it's basically like a synonym for yelling tally-ho. But hunters <laughs> would use it to call their dogs to alert them that there was a rabbit. So they'd be like, Soho. And over the, over the centuries, it just kind of became part of the lingo. And so much so that in that like mile of London, that just became the name of the neighborhood. Hmm. Fun. That's wild. We're having it. Yeah. That's so <laughs> abstract. Yeah. I just, I was driving me crazy. I feel like I should, I just wanted to drop that little nugget in there. I appreciate that. Cause I just assumed it was, uh, yeah. A lot of people else. think that a lot of people think it's the South of a street. Though, to be fair, the street that is northernmost of Soho is Oxford Street, if I'm not mistaken, so that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, and there's a couple things you can find about, like, houses in a certain area, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. That's It's weird. Um, so the movie ends, right? Sandy is is goes down with the ship, and then Ellie is a successful art student. She and John's fine, by the way. Don't know how that worked. He got stabbed pretty hard. It was a flesh wound. Seemed seemed dead. It seemed like a dead wound when it happened, but okay. Yep. And then and then she sees her mom again. I feel like there's some unpacking that could be done with the idea of her seeing her mom in mirrors. Just the idea of mirrors in general in this movie. There are some great shots. You know how hard it is to get a mirror shot with two people with a camera, getting that out of there mm -hmm. and like doing that just right? It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, did the final sort of face-off where they are sort of in this nebulous negative space climbing up a staircase work for you? I did. It did. I thought it was um, a little symbolic, mm. and uh, yeah. there's definitely some metaphor you could find in that. Uh, but I did. I liked it. I thought it it did work. Yeah, the switching off between Anya Taylor-Joy and Diana Riggs characters was pretty cool, too. Because in the, in the yeah. staircase sort of dreamy bit, it was Anya Taylor-Joy, and then in real life, it was, you know, Diana Rigg. I did yeah. say out loud during that part, I was like, you should just kick her down the stairs. Just give her a, give her a Sparta kick. Which right. she did do. And I was like, nice. This is good. Hell yeah. Then I felt bad, you know? All right. Mm, no, I like this movie. It's a great movie, though. Great movie. It was a great movie. Um, two really good movies this week. I love it. Yeah. Shout out to Diana Rigg. Uh, she is, if you don't know, probably most famous to people you and my age from playing Lady Elena Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Mm. She also was in a show in the 60s. I think it was called The Avengers. It might have been the 70s. Nice. Um, yeah, she passed away from cancer in, in 2020. This is her final appearance. Uh, and I listened in an interview with Edgar Wright, and he said that even in like her sort of final days, she they had to do some ADR, which is uh, basically voiceovers, mm -hmm. for a movie if you don't get the sound on on set. And she was like definitely sort of towards her end of her time. And she was like, nope, I want to mm -hmm. finish it. Come over. And they recorded it at her daughter's house when she was being taken care of and did the dialogue anyways. Oh, wow. Like in hospice. Yeah, pretty much. Just a, Jesus. She, she was great in this, by the way. She was lovely. Yeah, like she was. Stoic, she did a good like, job. No boy visitors. Like, she's, something about her is lovely. Yeah. And knowing it was her last role is pretty cool, too. And in case you didn't connect the pieces, um, when you see the movie, it starts with a for Diana. And that's who that is. 
Nice. Okay. I did not. That's great. Yeah. Um, I'm good on Last Night in Soho if you are, my friend. Me too. Go see it. It was great. I want to watch it again. Yeah. You want to go Hot and Bothered? Let's do it. Johnny Summers, welcome to Hot and Bothered, my friend. This is the part of the show where you and I talk about what's got us excited or bummed out for the week, a.k.a. Hot and Bothered. I'm going to jump on yours for a second so you can tell me, please, how was your trip? How was your trip to Hawaii? It was amazing. I had a great vacation. It was absolutely rad. I stood at the top of a volcano, uh, checked out like 10 different waterfalls, nice. swam with turtles, uh, basically checked every box you can think of, and relaxed a lot, had a great time, unwound, first vacation in three years, never thought I would go to Hawaii. It was something that always felt pretty out of reach. I don't come from a family of travelers, mm. so... Uh, this was kind of a big deal and it was very restorative, very cleansing, uh, had a lot of really kind of deep, uh, introspective moments, which were pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, was able to let some shit go and, uh, you know, swimming in the rain in a tropical place. Yeah. Like there's no way that you cannot um, equate that to kind of a cleansing type experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it was exactly what I needed and, uh, it was fantastic and, uh, I want to go back. I didn't want to leave. Maybe you and I go, we'll do that for our six year anniversary. That'd be Let's tremendous. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. And then we'll recreate that shot from moonlight when it's raining and they're in the, or maybe they're not even, maybe it's not raining, but they're in the ocean and you it can just hold raining. me in the water. We just re then, recreate scenes from movies in the ocean. That'd be, that'd be great. Water Let's world. Just do that. Yes. We'll do that. Huh. Jaws? I'm in. Maybe not want, so much maybe Jaws. Maybe not Jaws, yeah, but the other ones. <laughs> like Finding Nemo? We could do that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely Moana. I was going to ask if you played that the the Voyager song when you were taken off or like flying over the ocean, because that would have been pretty nice. I didn't, but I did sing a lot of the songs while we were driving around the island. I think that's uh, even and, better. Yeah, and there's chickens everywhere. And I was like, oh, it's hey, hey. Mm -hmm. That's great, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool, though. Yeah, everything went like way too well, like had a flat tire in our rental car and so they gave me a convertible camaro what that's fine yeah so i got to drive around hawaii for a week in a like v8 convertible camaro like goddamn rock star did they have problems renting out convertibles because it rains so much is that why they gave it to you uh no i think <laughs> just it was, like God you know damn it we were there during the week and it wasn't a big yeah. time for rental cars and they had like three of them and they're like do you just want a free upgrade to a convertible camaro and i said yes yes i do yeah Absolutely, I do, of course. Yeah, uh, and I will say that I always thought the whole like aloha attitude of people there was kind of overplayed in you know pop culture oh, and, sure. and whatnot. No, it is not. Um, if anything, it's underplayed. I met some of the sweetest, most kind-hearted, welcoming people I've ever mm. met anywhere in my life. Uh, the concierge of the hotel, just the the sweet little front desk lady. Yeah. Uh, like tried to take us wine tasting and said, when we come back next year, let her know she will take time off to spend with us. And I know she meant it. And that's unbelievable. So, yeah. You could have worked yourself into a end night Shyamalan old situation. That's what I thought of. You get like that open resort and then right? one person that works is like, Hey, let me take you to the secret spot. See you in six <laughs> hours. And you're like, do you mean 60 years? Exactly. Well, I'm glad that but, didn't happen. No, the, the the vibe is real, and if anything, it's understated. It is more prevalent and better than expected. So, yeah, 100%. It was awesome, and we even had a flight cancellation. It took a wonky, weird time to get back. 
Mm-hmm. Ended up spending a night randomly in Oahu, thanks to Southwest Airlines, but they gave us yeah. a free hotel room, and we ate more food and flew back the next day. So it was all just kind of like a whatever. Let's go with the flow. Can't yeah. control it. That's great. So even even the worst of the times were still pretty awesome. So yeah, for sure going back there next year. It's the right outlook, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty much everything that's got me hot, man. It was it was awesome. Uh, don't wait three years to take a vacation either. Mm. If if you're out there listening and I ever drill one thing into your head, take time off every year and go somewhere. Yeah, in uh, let's see, what is today? The third for us. Yeah, in in a couple of weeks we're going to Maui, and by we I mean my wife is going with her mom, so I'm going to Hawaii. Kind of guys, I'm gonna get photos and FaceTime. So yeah, go on vacation every now and again. Yeah. Hundred percent, or do what I did and stay when Johnny goes and work really hard and do a lot of shows and play one that is uh, terrible. And I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't want to incriminate myself at all. But I played what is going to be in my 2021 Rolodex of shows, top three uh, bad ones. Oh, why was it bad? I don't know if I can talk about it, but I just want to okay. say you got to appreciate the good days you have. You know. And that was a great day for a reminder to be like, even on most of my bad days when I play shows, which aren't that bad, uh, except for when they are, which, and this was one of Fair them. Enough. The other one was one I talked about on the show back in April when I played at Gold Country Casino and Hotel. Terrible experience. This was not yep. that bad, but it was runner up maybe. All right. Well, we'll talk about that off air. Yeah. I'll talk to you about that over a beer. I did play a couple of fun shows. I've got a fun one coming up. If you listen to this episode, the day it drops Friday, the fifth, I'm playing a show tomorrow night, Saturday, the sixth at Mulberry station with my friends of the sun followers, Ben and Sam. They're great. It's going to be a full band show. My friend Serena's going to be there. My friend Ethan's playing bass and our friend Jake is playing drums. It's five bucks to get in. It's a Saturday thing. It should be a lot of fun. So I'm looking that forward awesome. to that. It's I'm extra appreciating the prospect of good shows these days. Nice. Exactly. Got to look at the other side of the coin, man. Yeah. Um, but that's it for me, man. That's uh, that's kind of what, what I've been up to since you've been gone, and I've missed you terribly. I'm so glad you're home. I know. I missed you, too. It was so nice to hug you today. So yeah. I look forward to that well, again yeah. soon. Yeah, soon. Next week on the show, we are covering Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, which is two weeks in a row of Timothy Chalamet. How did we get so lucky? Wow. Honestly. Fun. Um, do we know what we're drinking yet? We do not. All right. Maybe we should find out. Maybe maybe we should post that kind of stuff. Like, hey, this is what we'll be covering on an episode in three days. Get it while you can. That'd be really smart. Mm-hmm. Production meeting on the air. Love it. There you go. Yeah. And if you guys think we should drink something, hit us up. That's true. Yeah. Because like we, I'd like to think you have a pretty good read on the beer market here in Chico, but I, I bet you'd admit that you don't know everything that comes into town. So like if a cool new brewery that you've just heard of has gotten to spikes or, or SNS or new earth or anywhere that sells good beer, let us know. Like, well, let's, we'll cover it. Let's, let's create a little dialogue, you know? Yeah. I think you're wrong and I have an excellent pulse. <laughs> I but... said you have an excellent, I didn't say, I just said a hundred percent. Oh, I do. hundred percent. Well then I guess don't write us. We don't want to hear from you. No, I, th- I think the the main thing I would love suggestions because we try and spread out breweries really far, but if mm. a brewery that we've done maybe within the last year has a bunch of cool new stuff and oh, sure. you think we should revisit them sooner than later, let us know. Yeah, I think that's that's smart, and I, I enjoy drinking beer, so yes, do that. Me too. So let's watch more movies and drink more beer and stay excellent to each other. Let's also remember that this show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi and all of our people that support us on Patreon. Of course, a shout out to our friends at the handlebar and and to you johnny summers thanks for making it home safe and uh coming back to me i appreciate it absolutely i can't quit you i love you (laughs) see you guys next week 
This is Fresh Hop Cinema.